Om Namo Bhagavate Vasudevaya Om Namo Bhagavate Vasudevaya Om Namo Bhagavate Vasudevaya Okay. Um, we are finishing chapter 13. And I guess I'll, uh, there's still a few more that will be joining us, so maybe I'll make some announcements later. But, well, briefly, we are, for, chapter 14 is, is similar, as I mentioned in the email, to chapter 13. So I was, and it's relatively long, it's 46 verses. So I was thinking of maybe not reading all of them. Um, we'll cover the, the same ones that we said in the email, but maybe not reading all of them. And that, that ties in with um, the upcoming chapters. I'm going to send you a essay or, or yeah, an essay or a, that uh, Burijan Prabhu wrote about the structure of the universe and all these chapters pretty much to the end of this canto um, that talk about that. And I'm not sure if it's the best use of our time, again, to go through every verse in some of those chapters, but to capture the essence of it. And I wanted, I wanted to know perhaps how you all felt about that, because, of course, you can read the verse. Because what we've been doing, right, we've been reading every verse, even when we're not covering the purport. And I was wondering if, uh, in order to keep the flow going well, that we might not read every verse, but read the ones that, of course, we're studying, the purports, and anything super important. Words. Any thoughts on that? I'd rather read every verse if it's up to me. Yeah, yeah okay. All right, Andy? Others? Yeah, please forgive the irreverence of the question, but why the rush? Um... We've been doing this for five years, <laughs> and uh, we do want to give everyone their Bhakti Vaibhava degrees one of these uh, decades. <laughs> I'm not in a rush per se, um, but I remember when we first started, let's see, there was a time when um, we were going really slowly, and then I sped it up a little bit, and then people at one point said it was too fast. I don't know if you remember that. That was a, maybe a year ago. Um, and so we we found the pace that we're pretty much going at right now. But if you want me to read everyone, that's fine with me. Raghunandan, um, then Prabhu, you were going to say? Yeah, especially when it comes to the description of the material universe, I would feel I feel that it would be a good idea to do the summary and capture the the main points and the essence of that section because going through it verse by verse is going to Cause more confusion. I think that's a fair point, at least for that part. Andy, yeah. are you going to be all right with that? Yeah, I, I defer to the greater minds. Okay. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I, it's very important that we see the uh, the forest from the trees in terms of the uh, the rest of the fifth canto. And Burijan Prabhu does an excellent job. So I will be asking you to read that. It's about a, well, you can at least read the summary, which is about three pages, and then the details go on for about another 16 pages. 
and I'll be I'll be emailing that out to you all uh, after this class because how the structure of the universe comes about, uh, why is it being discussed, and and how is it related to bhakti are very important uh, points to be uh, to be understood. Okay, so so for now, let us finish chapter thirteen, and we are on text twenty-four. So this is at the very end of this chapter. Srila Sukadeva Goswami continued, My dear king, O son of Mother Uttara, there were some waves of dissatisfaction in the mind of Jadaparata due to his being insulted by King Rahugana, who made him carry his palaquin. But Jadaparata neglected this, and his heart again became calm and quiet like an ocean. Although King Rahugana had insulted him, he was a great Paramahansa. I'm just trying to... Being a Vaishnava, he was naturally very kind-hearted, and he therefore told the king about the constitutional position of the soul. He then forgot the insult because King Rahugana pitifully begged pardon at his lotus feet. After this, he began to wander all over the earth as before. Prabhupada writes in the purport that a pure devotee has all the qualities of a sadhu. Jadabharata is an example of this. Due to the material body, his senses were certainly agitated when he was insulted by King Rahugana. But later, due to the king's humble submission, Jadabharata ex uh, excused him. It is the duty of everyone desiring to return to Godhead to become submissive like King Rahugana and beg pardon of Vaishnavas one may have offended. Vaishnavas are generally very kind-hearted and therefore... If one immediately submits himself at the lotus feet of a Vaishnava, one is immediately cleansed of offensive reactions. If one does not do so, the reactions will remain and the results will not be very palatable. I was um, very struck by this verse and the fact that pure devotees also experience things in life. Right? It says that uh, there were some waves of dissatisfaction in the mind of Jadaparata due to his being insulted by King Rahugana, who made him carry his palaquin, but Jadaparata neglected these. So they were there, but he overcame them. He neglected them. And that's, of course, as we've been speaking about, one of the ways to deal with the mind, when the mind, uh, it, the way, one of the ways of controlling the mind is by neglect. And so here he's showing that you know, there, there's a similar passage in the first canto of the Bhagavatam when the battle of Kurukshetra is over, Maharaj, the, uh, the uh, hundred sons of Dhritarashtra are buried uh, or, or, you know, uh, uh, they, their funeral rites have been finished and Yudhisthira is installed as a king. And in one purport, I'm paraphrasing, but he said that he felt some relief like a human being would feel, even though he was a great devotee. You know, he kind of went, So pure devotees are not machines. You just wind them up and point them in the right direction, and they always just spew pure devotional service. Of course they do, but, but what I mean by that is they, they have um, emotions. They, they, they react to how people treat them. Although 
as we're seeing here, it was a momentary thing for Jadapartha, and then he immediately became calm and quiet like an ocean. Um, so I thought, and then, then the purport, due to the material body, his senses were certainly agitated when he was insulted by King Rahugana, um, but he excused him later. So I think that's a, it's an important thing to remember that when we're dealing with great devotees that they are individuals, they don't, they don't have to all act like the other great devotee acts. They, they have their own personalities. And they interface with this world, although ultimately transcendental to it. Some thoughts on that? Hare Krishna Prabhu. Yes. Um, I have a question. Um, because the translation specifically says, he then forgot the insult because King Rahugana pitifully begged pardon at his lotus feet. So does it mean that when the person that has offended me seeks forgiveness, then I can get to the stage of forgetting that uh, offense or <laughs> insult? Forgiving and forgetting is two different things. So as a, as a Paramahamsa, Jada Bharat could be forgiving and that's why he was having the discussion with Rahugana so far. But it looks like he basically chose to forget the insult after he Rahugana begged uh, forgiveness from him. Well, we have to add Krishna to this equation, right? Um, because there's that saying that the devotee may quickly forgive, but Krishna may not. Right? In, in different parts of the Shastra we, or Prabhupada's writings, we, read, we hear about that, right? So that Krishna is part of the equation. A devotee's general mood is to, easel, to easily forgive because the devotee is him or herself, chinata pisuni chena torora amani namani dena sadahari. They're not expecting anything for themselves. So a devotee is is quick to to forgive, or or at least to forget. <laughs> well, not forgive and forget, but Krishna doesn't forget so easily, and only when, it, as Prabhupada writes here, only when a devotee, uh, a a offender, begs the forgiveness of the devotee, not of Krishna, right? Then Krishna, then Krishna will be satisfied when that devotee actually does indeed forgive them. So there's different angles of vision, the devotee and, and Krishna. But I think a good practice for us, well, you know, there's different levels, uh, Raghunanda Prabhu, there's different levels of this. On one level of devotee, whatever, you know, I, 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 you know, I've committed so many offenses myself, this person got on my case about something or offended me or, you know, Whatever, right? But forgiveness can be a quite a deep spiritual thing, more than just whatever, right? It can be quite a a uh, coming, you know, 180 degrees and appreciating that where that devotee is is coming from, what may have um, been the impetus to, for them to behave in a way that wasn't naturally like them, and. And so it can be a very deep kind of spiritual thing because it can be an anarta that goes quite deep into our heart when someone really hurts us. 
not necessarily physically, but you know, um, and and so like like Mahatma Prabhu gives a whole you know three day seminar on on forgiveness. So so it can be more much a deeper spiritual reckoning with oneself and with Krishna than just you know yeah forget it. But in, in regular day to day things, it's generally a good thing to ah forget it. Although there may be times when it's not, like if, like if a person is really hurting their spiritual life by the way that they're offensive to many people, trying to find a way to correct them is part of uh, our compassion, if we can find such a way. Does that answer your question, or is there more to it? Yes, Prabhu. Um, thank you for that uh, interesting perspective. Um, it, when you were explaining about the Krishna factor, it reminded me of uh, the Bhagavad Gita verse where Krishna says, from me comes uh, for knowledge and forgetfulness. Within the heart he is as the Paramatma. But you mentioned the nice point that Krishna doesn't take it lightly that when, when I uh, offend a devotee. So when, that, when I go and seek forgiveness from the devotee, Krishna as Paramatma within the heart is pleased and from him comes that ability to forget that offense or yeah, insult very from good. the person is offended. Very good. I like that. You're making that connection between forgetfulness and, and forgetting an offense. Yes. And, and as a general rule, we, should, we may have different opinions about spreading Krishna consciousness or about which kind of prasadam we should serve or whatever. And those sometimes can get quite heated, but we should be like the participants in the battles of Kurukshetra, similarly, who could come together in the evening and, and take prasadam together. Or, or just we can be in a kirtan with those other, other devotees of a different opinion than ours and, uh, and find a way to uh, live in the house that Prabhupada created. And it's, I, I find that as Iskan, uh, gets older it's over 50 years old now there is more variety within iskan in in all different ways how we bring up our children and you know what kind of prasadam we you know in all different ways and we should learn to celebrate that those differences and appreciate those differences rather than fight over them that of course we're not talking about philosophical deviations and things of that sort but to have, as Prabhupada said, unity in diversity is so important. And he said that will make, if we, we have to focus on that, and he said if we focus on unity in diversity, he said that will make our movement successful. Other thoughts? Okay. Then I, there were some other things I wanted to say about this first. I wanted to read something from uh, Vishwanath Chakravarti Thakur. He focuses his comment on this verse on the words, Uttara Mati, Mata, ma, Mata, um, which refers to Maharaj Prichit as the son of Mother Uttara. He says that Sukadev uh, Goswami used these words to pacify a lamenting Maharaj Prichit. Oh, this is the, in quotes, O oh, Prichit, whose mother is Uttara, the Lord personally entered your mother's womb and protected you. He showed his form to you, the Lord sending sages like Narada and me to protect you from the curse of a Brahmana has brought us to you and nullified the curse by sprinkling you 
with the unprecedented mercy of the sages, making you drink, drink the nectar of the Bhagavatam through my words. This shows that you are more fortunate than King Rahugana, more fortunate than Parata, more fortunate than me, and more fortunate than these great sages. So why are you lamenting? <laughs> okay, so we'll go on to text 25 then. Just a comment. Yes. Sorry. Uh, in all honesty, there are two kinds of uh, forgiveness or two moods of forgiveness I seek from devotees when I feel I've made an offense. One is sincere and one is uh, more kind of, uh, for lack of a better word, official. Like I'm afraid of the reaction to, I'm, I'm not really, I'm not really seeking forgiveness, but I offer the, uh, please forgive my offenses you know, like a ceremony or, or official uh, way, uh, hoping to get, to get covered <laughs> by, uh, by, by getting that uh, official reprieve. Um, yeah, so we should try to do things more from the heart. Uh, our whole process it, to go back to Krishna is to develop prema, develop love for Krishna and his devotees. So we need to do things with more and more bhakti and less and less um, just official going through the motions. Right? Yeah. Thank you for that. So text 25. After receiving lessons from the great devotee Chagaparata, King Rahugana of the state of Sabira became completely aware of the constitutional position of the soul. He thus gave up the bodily conception completely. My dear king, whoever takes shelter of the servant of the servant of the Lord is certainly glorified because he can without difficulty give up the bodily conception. Prabhupada writes, a sadhu is a pure devotee of the Lord. It has become, it has been our practical experience that the first instruction of our spiritual master infused us with Krishna consciousness so that now we are at least on the path of Krishna consciousness and can understand the philosophy. As a result, there are many devotees engaged in this Krishna consciousness movement. The whole world is revolving under the bodily conception. Therefore, there must be devotees all over the world to deliver people from the false bodily conception and fully engage them in Krishna consciousness. So Prabhupada is saying by the association of devotees. And when Prabhupada got the instruction, the first instruction from his guru to spread Krishna consciousness outside the uh, confines of India, <clears throat> and then and Prabhupada said that later he got inspiration by reading Vishwanath Chakravarti Thakur's commentary on chapter 2, text 41 of the Gita, which says, of all kinds of intelligence, the best intelligence, the best is intelligence focused in, on bhakti yoga. In bhakti yoga, one's intelligence becomes single-pointed or fixed in determination. One thinks, the instructions of my spiritual master to worship the personality of God by chanting, remembering, serving his feet, and so on, whoops, just lost it, are my 
only sadhana, my only sadhya or goal, my only livelihood. I am incapable of giving up these instructions either in the stage of practice or in the stage of perfection. They alone are my object of desire and my only responsibility. Besides them, I can desire no other responsibility, not even in my dreams. It is all the same to me whether I feel happy or unhappy or whether my material existence is eradicated or not. So that's the mood of someone who wants to go back to Krishna and wants to follow the instructions of the great devotees. Um, and Prabhupada says here that the whole world is revolving under the bodily conception. And that is certainly true. Something that, of course, is very much in the news right now, in, in, in not only in America, all over the world, that people are discriminating against certain people because of the color of their skin. And we see this, this um, Prabhupada would exp expand that to, it's, it's a something, and I think for many of us, we were, uh, we either were born outside of the U.S. or have um, experiences living in other places. And we see that whether it's African-Americans in America or some other people in other parts of the world, you know, people make fun of people from Bihar in India sometimes, or, or you know, Hindus don't like Muslims in India or Muslims in Pakistan don't like Hindu, Hindu you know. And everyone, practically speaking, doesn't like animals because they eat them. I mean, they, they, they say they like them, they, you know, they have organizations to protect them, but we, we try to not only um, not make distinctions because of the color of somebody's skin, but also even the species, right? Vidyabhinaya So we very much um, support the idea that black lives matter and all lives matter, including the 87 billion animals that are killed every year for, for people to eat in the world. So yes, the bodily conception. So, so I, I know I, it, one has to be very careful about this because it's such a strong sentiment, but people, of course, not of course, but people at work have been coming to me a lot because of my position asking me, how can we have discussions about this? And so people who I, I know well, I say, well, you know, ultimately this is a spiritual situation. It's, it's uh, it, the, the, the ultimate way of addressing this is, is, is spiritual. And I, I tell them in my, my point of view, not that things on, on this level of existence uh, cannot be done to improve situations for people but ultimately to really see people equally, to really respect everyone, one needs to understand that we are all brothers and sisters with the same father. And that same father is God. Whatever name you have for God, that, for that, that God. And really that understanding will, have, will ultimately lead us to truly respecting everyone. Mamai vanso jiva loke jiva bhuta sanatana. That Krishna says that everyone is mine. Everyone is my part and parcel. 
Any thoughts on this? Verse? Comments? Questions? Hare Krishna Prabhu, this is Jim Tobias. Yes, Steve, it's Prabhu. So, again, uh, sometimes we look at the outside world, we forget that within the family itself, we could be discriminating. You know, sometimes we consider the kids are just like, you know, hey, they are just kids and I have to, you know, not just take care of them, they have to follow my instructions and could be just looking for us and gratification at times and ignoring their priorities. Again, there's so many ways you can look at it. Yes. The difference yeah. is that they happen to have just come later on. But they are also living entities, eternal servants of Lord Krishna. And we should look at it from vision. It would help us. Charity begins at home, Srila Prabhupada said. Yes, very good. Very good point. And even in Varnashram, where there are some distinctions, right? Brahmins, Chachis, Vaishnavas, the, the, it only works, real Varnashram only works when there's respect for everyone. Yes. And, and people actually understand that from the spiritual platform, the, the sweeper in the street is on the same level as the Pajari. Even Prabhupada writes, right, that the, the sweeper in the street is more exalted than the charlatan meditator. <clears throat> That's mentioned in the Bhagavad Gita. So that so it really only works when there is true respect for all living entities. Raghunandam Prabhu has written, the Supreme Personality of God had said to the Brahmana, I am completely under the control of my devotees. Indeed, I am not at all independent. Because my devotees are completely devoid of material desires, I sit only within the cores of their hearts. But to speak of my devotee, even those who are devotees of my devotees are very dear to me. Thank you. And so that is the one thing that puts people in one sense above the crowd and not everyone's equal. And that is if one actually is devoted to God, is, is a devotee. Because, right, Krishna says, Samoham Sarvabhuteshu, Namei Dveshya Sinapriya, Ye Bhajanti Tumam Bhaktiya Mayi Teteshu. So I treat everyone equally, Krishna says, but if someone approaches me with devotion, it's a different program. Other thoughts? Okay. So, Prabhu, yes, go ahead. Messenger. So the example you are giving the sweeper, Ms. My Guru Maharaj, His Holiness, Gopal Krishna Goswami, he also gives this example. What is the color of the floor at the Krishna Balaram temple? Answer yeah. is marble, black and white. And what's the color of uh, Shri, Shri Krishna Balaram? Black and white. So, you know, person who's serving the deities and person who's cleaning the floor, you know, both are serving the Lord in devotional service and it's transcendental. Hare Krishna. Thank you. Yes, exactly. And so, so, you know, we can talk about this on, on a kind of superficial level, but to really deeply um, apply that in our lives is, uh, is something to work on. <laughs> and yet we do have distinctions, right? Like the one I just mentioned, the general distinction, devotee, non-devotee, but also we have distinction of levels of devotees. Yet... That doesn't mean we disrespect the lower one, right? The lowest devotee, it says you, in your mind, you offer them obeisances. So the pratishta or the basis of our relationship with everyone is, is respect. Although we avoid the demoniac. We don't hang out with them. 
Okay, then let's move on unless you want to um, cover anything else there. So text 26, King Parikshit then told Sukadeva Goswami, my dear king, my dear lord, O great devotee sage, you are omniscient. You have very nicely described the position of the conditioned soul who is compared to a merchant in the forest. From these instructions, intelligent men can understand that the senses of a person in the bodily conception are like rogues and thieves in that forest, and one's wife and children are like jackals and other ferocious animals. However, it is not very easy for the unintelligent to understand the purport of this story because it is difficult to extricate the exact meaning from the allegory. I therefore request your holiness to give the direct meaning. Now, beginning chapter 14. So he's asking, can you explain it more? And he really gets his uh, wishes fulfilled, doesn't he? Because there's 46 verses <laughs> in this chapter and very, very, you know, very strong verses. I'm sure many of you noted, noted them. And the, perp the, the underlying theme is to detach us from seeing this world as a place of enjoyment. That's the underlying theme of all of this, to give us some healthy detachment, but not just, remember, always in the Bhagavatam, the detachment is there <coughs> so that we can become more attached to Krishna and not just detachment for detachment's sake. This is a very long Translation, chapter, verse number one. When King Parikshit asked Sukadeva Goswami about the direct meaning of the material forest, Sukadeva Goswami replied as follows, My dear King, a man belonging to the mercantile community, Thanik, is always interested in earning money. Sometimes he enters the forest to acquire some cheap commodities like wood and earth and sell them in the city at good prices. Similarly, the conditioned soul being greedy enters the material world for some material profit. Gradually, he enters the deepest part of the forest, not really knowing how to get out, just like us entering the material world. Having entered the material world, the pure soul becomes conditioned by the material atmosphere, which is created by the external energy under the control of Lord Vishnu. Thus, the living entity comes under the control of the external energy, Taivi Maya. Living independently and bewildered in the forest, he does not attain the association of devotees who are always engaged in the service of the Lord. Once in the bodily conception, he gets different types of bodies, one after the other, under the influence of material energy and impelled by the modes of material nature, sattvagun, rajagun, and tamagun. In this way, the conditioned soul goes sometimes to the heavenly planets, sometimes to the earthly planets, and sometimes to the lower planets and lower species. Thus he suffers continuously due to different types of bodies. These sufferings and pains are sometimes mixed. Sometimes they are very severe, and sometimes they are not. These bodily conditions are acquired due to the conditioned soul's mental speculation. He uses his mind and five senses to acquire knowledge, and these bring about the different bodies and different conditions. Using the senses under the control of the external energy, maya, the living entity suffers the miserable conditions of material existence. He is actually searching for relief, but he is generally baffled, although sometimes he is relieved after great difficulty. Struggling for existence in this way, 
He cannot get the shelter of pure devotees who are like bumblebees engaged in the loving service at the lotus feet of Lord Vishnu. And Prabhupada writes that people struggling for existence in the forests or cities of the material world are not actually enjoying life. They are simply suffering different pains and pleasures, generally pains that are always inauspicious. So let's let's look at that first, this idea, this sentence. They are not actually enjoying life. So what does that mean? Is Prabhupada writes, well, they are simply suffering different pains and pleasures. So that's also interesting. Suffering pleasures. They try to gain release from these pains, but they cannot do to ignorance. For them it is stated in the Vedas Tabdigyanartam, Saguru Mevapikachet. When the living entity is lost in the forest and the material world and the struggle for existence, his first business is to find a bona fide guru who is always engaged at the lotus feet of Vishnu. So uh, not everyone would agree with that, right? Would everyone agree that, that they are not actually enjoying life? So what does that mean? They are not actually enjoying life. How do we, we need to have a clear definition of what enjoying life means to be able to go to somebody and go to ourselves and say that people who are not practicing bhakti are not enjoying life. We need that definition. So here's one way to look at it, you know, because some people say they follow your bliss, right? So spiritual bliss comes from love. And if you love someone, you try to please them. So we, we are souls, we're not this body. And Krishna is, all, is, is, so we're spiritual. And Krishna is also spiritual. And the spiritual world is in, filled with enlightened beings who are all also conscious. So how do you please the soul? How do you please the soul? Do you, do you, do you give them, you know, uh, something from McDonald's to exploit their body, right? So to follow your bliss, to follow, to seek real happiness means to seek real love. And real love is to please Krishna, to please God and the pure souls who are acting in purely spiritual ways. Some thoughts on enjoying life? Comments, questions? Um, what is meant by life? I mean, life on oh, okay. <laughs> or succession of all our lives until we go to Godhead or what? What is meant by, okay. That, that, I hadn't thought of that question, Andy. <laughs> Very good. Enjoying life. <clears throat> the way I take it here is our activities, or we could say our karma, right? You know, our karma, not, not, not the word karma has different meanings, right? So, our, but our activities, you know, enjoying life, like going to the movies or going to work or, or having a, you know, pizza with three cheese toppings or, <laughs> and, and pineapple, you know, um, that life, as we live it. And of course, we live life, as you kind of pointed out, in this life, but also continuously. So what is our definition of that, our, our, our the way, you know, the 24 hours that we have, that's the way I see it. That, that's the way I understand it from the, from the way Prabhupada is using it. And then the question is, you know, what does enjoying mean? And so we're basically saying that 
Enjoying life means to reconnect with who we really are, and who we really are is God's servant. And that's enjoyable, real enjoyment. And, and the other enjoyments, because they, and the way Prabhupada words it here is so interesting, right? People, they are simply suffering different pains and pleasures. So even the pleasures are not enjoying. We're using English words here, right? It's not perfect. But the pleasures are the pleasures of the senses. Yehi sangsparsaja boga dukha yonaya evate. And they don't have that unending pleasure. Right? Like if you really, you know, we've, you said that, we've said this before, right? If you really, Henry, what is your favorite prashadam? If you, don't, don't worry about your health. Forget about your health. What would, you, what would be your favorite prashadam if you didn't have to worry about your health? Kitri made by Ratatra Jaswami. Okay. And very good. I've also had that. And one bowl or two bowls? Whatever he has left over. Okay. But if, he, but if you had to eat 20 bowls, <laughs> you know, in other words, we have our limitations in this world of pleasures. But the idea that, that, Connecting with Krishna, chanting his name, hearing his Bhagavatam, associating with devotees, those don't have the same kind of satiation point. I hope. Other thoughts, questions, comments? Hare Krishna Prabhu. Yes. Um, so we, we, we are basically souls, spiritual in nature. And anything material is alien to us. And Prabhupada gives the example like a fish out of water. Right. Fish, has, fish is in its natural element when it is in water. So yeah. similarly, the spirit souls, the natural element is spiritual energy. So anything that we do in the material world made up of the material energy, we might take it some some of those consequences to be pleasure and happiness and some of those consequences to be suffering and miseries but ultimately anything material is a suffering for the spirit soul right right because you get reactions whether they're good or bad because even going to the heavenly planets is not satisfi fully satisfying to the soul and, and Prabhupada also gives an example, analogy of uh, the finger disconnected from the body. Yeah. yeah. The finger disconnected from the body can be preserved, but still it doesn't look hale and healthy and it is not doing its na na natural function. But the moment it is connected back with the body, then it becomes pinkish and rosy and it hits alive and healthy. Nice. Yes. Yeah. Right. Hare Krishna Prabhu. Yes, uh, another Rupa Devi. Yes, Prabhu. So uh, <clears throat> I was reminded of all the uh, sections covered in Canto uh, 3. Uh, Lord Kapila, when he is describing uh, devotional service and fruitive activities to his mother, yeah. in detail, you know, enjoyment um, in different phases of life, including householder life, is covered in great depth. <clears throat> So from there, you know, remember, uh, you know, I was just uh, meditating on that. And also uh, I looked up here, I have a section from uh, 
Bhagavad Gita chapter 2, Prabhupada explains there that a sincere devotee or shuns all material sense enjoyment due to his higher taste for spiritual enjoyment in the association of the Lord. This is the secret of success. Yes. So higher taste, you know, what we are into thinking as enjoyment before we before even we take baby steps in Krishna consciousness, our understanding of enjoyment is of course on a material plane under the influences of material modes of material nature and once uh, we develop an understanding, you know, why we should engage in serving Krishna and devotees and then as we follow sadhana bhakti and serve in different ways, we start developing priorities Yes. Towards that, and that the personal experience, then slowly other material activities start losing the significance, or supposedly where we used to find enjoyment that doesn't have that taste anymore. Mm -hmm. And uh, so I want to just finish this statement I was reading. Um, so Prabhupada says that is the secret of success. One who is not therefore in Krishna consciousness, however powerful he may be, in controlling senses by artificial repression is surely ultimately to fail the slightest thought of sense pleasure will agitate him to gratify his desires right. and we know that uh, that uh, you know uh, with enjoyment uh, you know the temporary nature of enjoyment material enjoyment and how we develop attachment to the objects of enjoyment and how the fall down eventually happens so uh, so I think that uh, this is a wonderful uh, knowledge or, uh, which has been uh, covered in great depth in both Agvatam and Bhagavad Gita. Thank you. Thank you so much. Yes, it's imperative that you see the urgency. We've talked about this so many times, but the urgency to get and maintain a higher taste. Prabhupada also talks about the, uh, the cities as like comparing the present-day cities to a forest. And I don't know what the um, suburbs would be like. <laughs> because they're somewhere in the middle, right? <laughs> well, I think a lot of us live in suburbs rather than in cities. But they are, I could, you know, being in a, a New Yorker, I could definitely see how the, the analogy is apropos. Of, of a city being like a a kind of forest for sure and instead of snakes you have rats you know and, and instead of tigers you have taxi drivers you know, or uh, I'm sure you could go on and on in that way I found that interesting and Prabhupada of course is very in his travels and also growing up in Calcutta was very much familiar with big city living yeah. I think uh, I think the suburbs are confusing in a kind of boring way yes <laughs> like um, no when they had um, in only Maryland they wanted to have black lives uh, matter protest and there were these people like at the intersection of these big roads everybody's driving through and they were like screaming and yelling and pulling up these signs I said oh maybe they're having a car wash today for the high school and uh <laughs> yeah, they're actually you don't know till you drive through but everything is drive through right and right. they yell at you and say black lives matter and everything and that's all it is but it's kind of confusing uh you know it's impersonal 
Yeah. It's kind of weird, but uh, that's kind of like what the suburbs are. I mean, you just drive through these roads. Everybody's driving. and um, They were the, yeah, and they were the American dream in the 50s, right? That's when yeah. suburbs really started yeah. coming out. I think Henry would know more about the history than me, but that's, that's when they, uh, that was like the, the life after World War II to get a, this, you know, just started creating these suburbs all over the place. And you see a lot of houses that were built in the 50s. Um, pretty ugly, actually. But, <laughs> but, yeah. So let's continue. Uh, we're going up to verse 3, so not far. Verse number 2. In the forest of material existence, the uncontrolled senses are like plunderers. The conditioned soul may earn some money for the advancement of Krishna consciousness, but unfortunately, the uncontrolled senses plunder his money through sense gratification. The senses are plunderers because they make one spend his money uh, unnecessarily for seeing, smelling, tasting, touching, hearing, desiring, and willing. In this way, the conditioned soul is obliged to gratify his senses, and thus all his money is spent. This money is actually acquired by the execution of religious principles, but it is taken away by the plundering senses. My dear king, family members in this material world go under the names of wife and children, but actually they behave like tigers and jackals. A herdsman tries to protect his sheep to the best of his ability. Tigers and foxes take them away by force. Similarly, although a miserly man wants to guard his money very carefully, his family members take away all his assets forcibly, even though he is very vigilant. So it's interesting. Um, we may have to make, the, may have to sometimes turn the gender roles around, at least in America right now, where there's less than twenty percent of the house of the households in America are only one breadwinner, uh, only one male breadwinner. Which you know you would get the indication from this verse that that was the norm. Or it was even the norm very much going back before 1970, the 70s in, in America. But now you uh, even have families where the woman is the main bread, bread maker, uh, breadwinner, um, I think in 40% of the family. So it's just interesting how um, culturally things have changed. But the point is, still remains the same, that... And of course, we're not here talking about family members, but that uh, we we can take advantage of situations. The conditioned soul can see a situation, just say, and be oblivious to the hard work that someone may uh, undertake to maintain a family, and just go, you know, uh, spending frivolously or otherwise. I had a, a little um, power, just a quick little PowerPoint to show you um, that I found um where is it now oh. yeah the, the t-shirt that it says dad walking talking atm machine <laughs> i know some of us who have children they may we may uh feel that way and then here's another one <laughs> this is from a protest in india actually husband is not an atm machine <laughs> But the, the reality is that we, we, uh, we laugh at this dad walking, talking ATM machine. Um, but we willingly, out of affection, give our family members the, the such things. And this chapter is certainly 
there to um, pry us away from undue attachment to things in this material world. So now, unless we, anyone want to talk about being an ATM machine to your children or your spouse? <laughs> of course, nowadays you don't need an ATM machine, right? Everything can be done electronically. Uh, the person who created ATM machines just passed away recently, by the way. Just an unimportant tidbit of information there. But now they just need to have a, a cell phone with Apple Pay on it, right? <laughs> and <laughs> like that. Yeah. So we're going up now to uh, verse 17. So I guess I will... I will read these. I was, this is one thing I was thinking of skipping, but since you want to hear this, we will read them through. Maybe comment a little bit. If you want to stop and comment, please let me know. And verse number four. Every year the plowman plows over his grain field, completely uprooting all weeds. Nonetheless, the seeds lie there and, not being completely burned, again come up with the plants sown in the field. Even after being plowed under, the weeds come up densely. Similarly, the Grihasta ashram uh, is a field of fruit of activity. Unless the desire to enjoy family life is completely burned out, it grows up again and again. Even though camphor may be removed from a pot, the pot nonetheless retains the aroma of camphor. As long as the seeds of desire are not destroyed, fruit of activities are not destroyed. So obviously how important bhakti is because it actually cuts away at, right from the root, uproots the weeds. Sometimes the conditioned soul and household life, being attached to material wealth and possessions, is disturbed by envious men who are like gadflies and mosquitoes. And sometimes he is troubled by thieves who are like locusts, birds of prey, and rats. Nonetheless, he still wanders down the path of material existence. Due to ignorance, he becomes lusty and engages in fruitive activity. Because his mind is absorbed in these activities, he sees the material world as permanent although it is temporary like a phantasmagoria, a house in the sky. So how many people are thinking of the world as, or at least acting as if they'll be here forever? Sometimes in this house in the sky, Gandharvapura, the conditioned soul drinks, eats, and has sex. Being overly attached, he chases after the objects of the senses, just as deer chases a mirage in the desert. Sometimes the living entity is interested in the yellow stool known as gold and runs after it. That gold is a source of material opulence and envy, and it can be, and it can enable one to afford illicit sex, gambling, meat eating, and intoxication. Those whose minds are overcome by the mode of passion are attracted by the color of gold, just as a man suffering from a cold in the forest runs after the phosphorescent light in a marshy land, considering it to be fire. And either here or elsewhere, Prabhupada mentions that, uh, oh yes, Maharaj Priksha told Kali Yuga to leave his kingdom immediately and reside in four places. And then he said, okay, one place, and that is where gold is stored. And of course, now we are not so much on the gold standard. So it's where you're, where money in some form or other. Uh, in the old days in India, you know, it was, Lacks and lacks in the mattress or some similar place. And everyone was dealing with, uh, as we used to call it, number two money, right? 
Sometimes the conditioned soul is absorbed in finding residential quarters or apartments and getting a supply of water and riches to maintain his body. Absorbed in acquiring a variety of necessities, he forgets everything and perpetually runs around the forest of material existence. Sometimes, as if blinded by the dust of whirlwind, the conditioned soul sees the beauty of the opposite sex, which is called pramada. Being thus bewildered, he is raised upon the lap of a woman, and at that time his good senses are overcome by the force of passion. He thus becomes almost blind with lusty desire and disobeys the rules and regulations governing sex life. He does not know that his disobedience is witnessed by different demigods, and he enjoys illicit sex in the dead of night and not seeing the future punishment awaiting him. The conditioned soul sometimes personally appreciates the futility of sense enjoyment in the material world, and he sometimes considers material enjoyment to be full of miseries. However, due to his strong bodily conception, his memory is destroyed, and again and again he runs after material enjoyment, just as an animal runs after a mirage in the desert. Sometimes the conditioned soul is very aggrieved by the chastisement of his enemies and government servants who are who use harsh words against him directly or indirectly. At that time, his heart and ears become very saddened. Such chastisement may be compared to the sounds of owls and crickets. Due to his pious activities in previous lives, the conditioned soul attains material facilities in this life. But when they are finished, he takes shelter of wealth and riches, which cannot help him in this life or in the next. Because of this, he approaches the living dead who possess these things. Such people are compared to impure trees, creepers, and poisonous wells. Sometimes to mitigate distresses in this forest of the material world, the conditioned soul receives cheap blessings from atheists. He then loses all intelligence from their association. This is exactly like jumping in a shallow river. As a result, one simply breaks his head. He is not able to mitigate his sufferings uh, from the heat, and in both ways he suffers. The misguided conditioned soul also approaches so-called sadhus and swamis who preach against the principles of the Vedas. He does not receive benefit from them, either in the present or in the future. In this material world, when the conditioned soul cannot arrange for his own maintenance despite exploiting others, he tries to exploit his own father or son, taking away that relative's possessions, although they may be very insignificant. If he cannot acquire things from his father, son, or other relatives, he is prepared to give them all kinds of trouble. Text 15. In this world, family life is exactly like a blazing fire in the forest. There is not the least happiness, and gradually one becomes more and more implicated in unhappiness. In household life, there is nothing favorable for perpetual happiness. Being implicated in home life, the conditioned soul is burned by the fire of lamentation. Sometimes he condemns himself as being very unfortunate, and sometimes he claims that he suffers because he performed no pious activities in his previous life. Government men are always like carnivorous demons, like rakshasha men-eaters. Sometimes these government men turn against the conditioned soul and take away all the, his accumulated wealth. Being bereft of his life's reserved wealth, the conditioned soul loses all enthusiasm. Indeed, it is as though he loses his life. Sometimes the conditioned soul imagines that his father or grandfather has again come in the form of his son or grandson. In this way, he feels the happiness one sometimes feels in a dream, and the conditioned soul sometimes takes pleasure in such mental concoction. Prabhupada writes, Due to ignorance, the real existence of the Lord, the conditioned soul, 
imagines many things. Uh, due to ignorance of the real existence of the Lord, he, the conditioned soul imagines many things. Influenced by fruitive activity, he comes together with his relatives, family, son, and grandfathers, exactly as straws gather together in a moving stream. So very strong analogy. Um, but with the vision of eternity and with the vision of reincarnation and the vision that we are souls and not this body, it's actually true. Now, when we read this as devotees, that straws that gather together in a moving stream, this should be an encouragement to make sure that make our life, our, let's say our family life, spiritual. Um, spiritual relationships can endure, but relationships in this world are just like that seaweed coming together. Because remember, you know, if, if Lord Brahma's life of 311 trillion years is a lightning flash in eternity, what to speak of our life of 80 or 90 years or whatever it is. And so it is like this. And of course, Jada Bharata fully, fully, fully un understands this because he has that remembrance from his previous life. So in one sense, we're just passing through this world. We're just passing through this world as being living in America. We're just passing through this world in the occupation that we do. I always find it interesting, for example, talking to people after they retire from my workplace, and I'm sure you've probably seen this, you know, they can be, they're just absorbing their work, absorbing their work. And then after they retire, they come back, say hello, and they just couldn't care less because they were just passing through that job. And that thing that, that, that may have preoccupied their mind for 30 years or more. Now it's like, they just laugh at it. Oh, you're still dealing with so-and-so. Okay. Too bad. You know, or whatever. And they're just, so we're all just passing through this world. We're all just passing through this world. Any thoughts on this seaweed? Was it seaweed or was it, uh, no, straws. Straws coming together in a moving stream. Well, yes, Andy? Well, I did, <clears throat> I did have a small realization all the okay. way back in the purport chapter 8. And... Um, I, I've seen this this uh, same phrase like hundreds of times under the influence of material nature, but for some reason it really clicked. Like when you're driving under the influence, right? Uh -huh. You're in trouble because it's hard enough driving safely anyway. Now you're drunk, so it it just it just highlighted to me that the the nature of uh, the difficulty of our life. Not only we're we're under illusion. Now he's saying, even navigating the solution, we're drunk. We're under the influence. <laughs> of the I like that a lot. Thank you for that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's how. I mean, it's kind of a negative thing, but that's how difficult the odds are. Yeah. Imagine a policeman called, pulling you over and said, Andy, you're under the influence of material nature. <laughs> Get with it. Chant, chant Hare Krishna. <laughs> Thank you for that. Someone else had a point? I guess you Prabhu. Um, yes, actually, go Prabhu. So one came to my mind while while reading this verse is like this happened like five thousand years before, uh, and Jirabharda can remember everything what Bharat Maharaj had underwent, um, the whole thing, and even after five thousand years, it's like uh, it can able to relate to our life so closely that uh, because of Prabhupada's mercy and teachings, 
that I personally can able to relate, yes, this is something happening and this is where we are. Uh, particularly, I'm, I'm talking about myself here. So, um, you know, even if it is, it's it, it, these, these particular verses are like so direct to me that like how fallen so I am. And, uh, um, you know, and I was wondering how come like, you know, 5,000 years before he basically can able to uh, write and experience and he be able to tell this um, uh, so directly. Uh, it was so wonderful, Prabhuji. It is wonderful that that that, that Shastra can be so relevant, especially when we when we uh, connect with the essence of it, right? There may be some details like you know making doing yagyas, or there may be some things in the Bhagavatam that we don't do anymore, right? That were from a different uh, yuga, for example. But the essence, the instruction, hits us as much now as as it did. Great sages, and thank you for that, Chakshi Gopapu. So now we're going up to verse 24. So text 18. In household life, one is ordered to execute many yagnas and fruitive activities, especially the vibaha yagna, which is the marriage ceremony for sons and daughters, and the sacred thread ceremony. These are all the duties of a krihasta and... They are very extensive and troublesome to execute. They are compared to a big hill over which one must cross when one is attached to material activities. A person desiring to cross over these ritualistic ceremonies certainly feels pains like the piercing of thorns and pebbles endured by one attempting to climb a hill. Thus the conditioned soul suffers unlimitedly. And that's a good example, Shakshi Gopalpabhu, because not everyone, it, it certainly... In, uh, large parts of India, although it's becoming less so, are in anxiety until, especially daughters, especially when they're, uh, if their daughter is unmarried. Um, in the West, people, lots of times, they, they, but they just have, instead of that specific thing, getting my daughter married, they just have their general overall concern for their children and what's happening to them. It may, may not be as much like, you know, you have to be married kind of thing. Um, as, as it is in, in India, or, or it appears here in the Vedic culture. But the essence of it is still the same. Text 19. Sometimes due to bodily hunger and thirst, the conditioned soul becomes so disturbed that he loses his patience and becomes angry with his own beloved sons, daughters, and wife. Thus, being unkind to them, he suffers all the more. Sukadeva Goswami continued speaking to Maharaj Prichit, My dear king, Sleep is exactly like a python. Those who wander in the forest of material life are always in, devoured by the python of sleep. Being bitten by this python, they always remain in the darkest of ignorance. They are like dead bodies thrown in a distant forest. Thus, the conditioned soul cannot understand what is going on in life. In the forest of the material world, the conditioned soul is sometimes bitten by envious enemies, which are compared to serpents and other creatures. Through the tricks of the enemy, the conditioned soul falls from his prestigious position. Being anxious, he cannot even sleep properly. He thus becomes more and more unhappy, and he gradually loses his intelligence and consciousness. In that state, he becomes almost perpetually like a blind man who has fallen in a dark well of ignorance. The conditioned soul is sometimes attracted to the little happiness derived from sense and gratification. Thus, he has illicit sex or steals another's property. 
At such a time, he may be arrested by the government or chastised by the woman's husband or protector. Thus, simply for a little material satisfaction, he fail, falls into a hellish condition and is put into jail for rape, kidnapping, theft, and so forth. Text 23. Learned scholars and transcendentalists therefore condemn the materialistic path of fruit of activity because it is the original source and breeding ground of material miseries both in this life and in the next. Stealing or cheating another person out of his money, the conditioned soul somehow or other keeps it in his possession and escapes punishment. Then another man named Devadatta cheats him and takes the money away. Similarly, another man named Vishnu Mitra steals the money from Devadatta and takes it away. In any case, the money does not stay in one place. It passes from one hand to another. Ultimately, no one can enjoy the money and it remains a property of the Supreme Personality of God. Prabhupada writes that riches come from Lakshmi, the goddess of fortune, and the goddess of fortune is the property of Narayan, the Supreme Personality of Godhead. The goddess of fortune cannot stay anywhere but by the side of Narayan. Therefore, another of her names is Chanchala, restless. Then in the last paragraph, one person cheats another, and another person cheats someone else. Therefore, the best way to possess Lakshmi is to keep her by the side of Narayan. This is the point of the Krishna consciousness movement. We worship Lakshmi, Radha Rani, along with Narayana, Krishna. We collect money from various sources, but that money does not belong to anyone but Radha and Krishna, Lakshmi Narayan. If money is utilized in the service of Lakshmi Narayan, the devotee automatically lives in an opulent way. However, if one wants to enjoy Lakshmi the way Ravana did, he will be vanquished by the law of nature, and whatever few possessions he has will be taken away. Finally, death will take everything away, and death is a representative of Krishna. So I was preparing, just a little story, I was preparing for this class today, and I went for a Japa walk, and I saw a penny on the street, so I picked it up. I'm not going to the temple right now to avoid, you know, things, but my wife is. So I said, Davy, make sure this penny gets in the hundi. Make sure this goes to Krishna because that person who lost that penny is going to get benefited <laughs> because I was reading these two. Uh, uh, Paul says that even if they give a farthing, which was a, a coin that was like one-tenth of a pence in England in the till about 1940, and, you know, even if they give a farthing, they get some agatha sugriti. So I said, make sure this penny goes in the hundred, because this person will get some benefit. Um, but money is, it's, isn't it just, money is such a powerful thing. Such a powerful thing. People kill for it. People work all day and night for it. Um, it's, it's such a... Uh, the whole world is crazy after Lakshmi, not knowing that she's just the consort of Krishna. And she, and probably many of us have experienced her chanchala nature, that sometimes our money situation is better than others, and it comes and goes. And the main point Prabhupada is making here is that money is really meant to be used as far as possible in Krishna's service. And he was very, he very much warned us also. Here's two warnings. Uh, 
these are two different statements Prabhupada wrote. On, on the other side, those who collect contributions on behalf of the International Society for Krishna Consciousness should be very careful not to use even a farthing of the collection for any purpose other than the transcendental loving service of the Lord. And then another time Prabhupada said, that is his duty. But if he takes money from others and utilizes it for sense gratification, then he goes to hell. Then he it is finished. Then he is a cheater. Actually, he is a criminal. You cannot take money, a farthing from anyone, and use it for your own sense gratification. So, especially if we in any way collect Lakshmi on behalf of the temple, on behalf of Krishna consciousness, we have to be extremely careful that that money is only used for Krishna's service. Because that's, that's, first of all, that's being honest. And uh, it's benefiting the person, it's benefiting us. Sometimes we took it to an extreme. I, I, uh, in, when I was a young man and I was a traveling Sankirtan living in a van, we would sometimes compete with the other devotees how little we could spend on boga, on vegetables, while we were traveling. But we didn't eat very healthy, <laughs> Stacey, you know, it was, but we would just, you know, cabbage and potatoes are like the cheapest things we could find, right? And we would get rice from the temple. So we would spend like almost nothing. <laughs> but that was a little extreme because we also have to take care of our, of our health. But especially if we're selling books or getting donations in this way or that, that money that we get on behalf of Krishna is only for, meant for Krishna. I mean, obviously you have to pay for gas and things like that, but, but it, nothing for our own sense gratification for sure. That um, is that is very important, and it also is very important as, as just as an organization, right? People will trust us if they know that the devotees who are collecting on the, oh, it's a quarter of a penny. Thank you, Henry. Henry uh, corrected me. Um, that they know that when they give ISKCON devotees uh, money, that it'll it'll go for the service of Radha Madan Mohan exclusively. We were always uh, trained in, in the early days of ISKCON to be very, very careful about that principle. Any thoughts on Lakshmi? We could talk for hours about Lakshmi, of course, but uh, any thoughts? Hare Krishna, um, Hare Krishna Prabhu. Yes, Mataji. So Prabhu, um, so basically what we are reading for last several verses is actually uh, I, I tend to think from a householder's perspective, whatever I read. So I'm thinking now it is so good we receive this knowledge. What is a Gramadhi lifestyle? What is a Grihastha lifestyle in Krishna consciousness? Because initial years when I started reading scriptures, it caused me a lot of confusion that I'm already into Grihastha life. Now, if family situation is going to be like this, and where do I go? And unfortunately, I ended up reading um, Prahlad Maharaj's teachings uh, in seventh canto and that helped me early on understand that, okay, I'm seeing here what is condition, uh, soul's life, how we have been conditioned for so long, how we have been living, and now what we can do to correct out of it, to, you know, follow Krishna consciousness. And fortunately, Prabhupada has all the teachings. So we don't have to get out, take sannyas, go anywhere, and, you know, staying in Grasta Ashram or this life, we can apply the teachings, follow the sadhana bhakti and do the best we can. Is Jiva Tattva Prabhu thinking of taking sannyas? 
ฉันไม่ได้ไปสติปัชชิสตรีอินเดอะบักติเวลเวลคลาสซอไม่ได้เคียร์อบาวต์อิตนาวนัทติงทูวอรี่นัทติงทูวอรี่แอสออฟนา
and not to mention all the people who say they believe in God and don't really believe in it, right? But yet this message is so philosophically, you don't have to believe it uh, because uh, just the philosophical construction that money, everybody knows that money runs around, people lose fortunes, right? And they're showing you by that, by that construction that it's only stable when it's close to God, right? So, yeah. so it's such a powerful philosophical message. You don't even have to believe it. You just think about it. Thank I you for that. Yeah, very nice realization. Thank you. Great. So let's do at least one more uh, verse. So we're going up to 26. Being unable to protect himself from the threefold miseries of material existence, the conditioned soul becomes very morose and lives a life of lamentation. These threefold miseries are miseries suffered by mental calamity at the hands of the demigods, such as freezing wind and scorching heat, miseries offered by other living entities, and miseries arising from the mind and body themselves. As far as transactions with money are concerned, if one person cheats another, by a farthing or less, they become enemies. Prabhupada writes, even in ordinary transactions between two people, there is invariable invariably cheating because the conditioned soul is defective in four ways. He is illusioned, he commits mistakes, his knowledge is imperfect, and he has a propensity to cheat. So these four defects we're familiar with, and they are all pervasive. Maybe not. Maybe we don't think everyone's a cheater, but making mistakes, being illusioned, imperfect knowledge, they, they're so all pervasive that we don't even notice them. You know, someone used the uh, fish example earlier. So it's the other one that they say, if you go, no, you know, no fish goes up to another fish and asks, how's the water? Because then the other fish says, what do, you, what, what, do you, what do you mean water? Because they're just surrounded by it all the time. They just think it's, right? It's just, uh, so we don't, you know, we're so surrounded by making mistakes, by having imperfect senses by being illusion that we don't even notice it. And as we've spoken about many times, the, the way this really manifests much in Kali Yuga is because of imperfect senses, because of being illusion, because of making mistakes, we, we, we make assumptions about other people that are incorrect. And those assumptions about other people that are incorrect is the number one cause of my experience of conflicts and disagreements and the, the, the uh, marching forward of Kali Yuga. Although, although, these 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 defects pervade our life all the time, uh, and we can become very convinced about our perceptions, and then uh, and then disagree with someone who has a different perception, and we and we're all forgetting that we have these four defects, mm -hmm. and we're all you know we're we're, we're influenced by by our experiences in life, by we all the different lenses by which we look. The world at the world through, and those different lenses they actually influence what we see, practically speaking. And so, we may look at the same thing as another person. One living, one conditioned soul looks at the same thing as another, uh, another conditioned soul, and they see something completely different. And it's because of these four defects. So, just as in a political example, someone can look at a politician. They're looking at the same politician with the same eyes and the same ears and the same nose, you know, and they see something totally different because of these four defects. So they're very 
all pervasive. So some thoughts on that. There's a lot of people we haven't heard from today. We haven't heard from Nanimuki and Shushil and Saradia, etc. David, Grudas, anyone or anyone like to comment on the four defects? So, Hare Krishna Prabhu. Yes, uh, the the assumptions and conceptions we have about the situation or about others. Basically, it's like a filter that is preventing us from seeing the actual thing. Right. So, but when I'm using the spiritual knowledge, at least some of those misconceptions are going away and those filters are removed and I'm seeing the world as it is. Uh-huh. So yes, more, more so. Yes, yes. So in that, uh, in, in that way, uh, the, the spiritual knowledge is really a gift and a blessing yeah so what are the three ways of acquiring the three basic ways of acquiring knowledge Pratyaksha, Anumana and Shabda so you were just glorifying Shabda right so it doesn't mean that there's no um, Pratyaksha Anuman direct perception or inference there is but those are more open to those four defects. Whereas at least the, the transcendental parts of the Vedas, the, the Bhagavatam, etc., are beyond those four defects. And when it says that a pure devotee is beyond the four defects, it doesn't necessarily mean that they've all of a sudden attained 20-20 vision with their eyes just by dint of their pure bhakti. Right, and that they might not, you know, mistake a uh, a Chevrolet from a Ford, you know, from a distance, or something <laughs> like that. They they see through the eyes of Shastra, and they have lost completely the propensity to cheat others. Right, like that. But Prabhupada once had a discussion with Jayadvaita Swami, and and. And he was saying that, no, don't think that a pure devotee just uh, is, you know, just see, you know, their senses are all, are just totally perfect in, in, in the material sense. No, the, the, the main thing about a pure devotee is their, their intention. They have, they have a burning desire in their heart to please Krishna and not have other desires. That's the point. That's what makes him a great devotee. It's not that you know you you have to go up to your guru and say you know which uh, which plumber should we go to see? And he said, well, you know, you go to this one. It's not like you have to say, oh, that can't, you know, that must be the perfect plumber. Matter of fact, you shouldn't ask your guru those kind of questions in the first place. Yeah, because the tendency is to immediately jump to the platform of idealism and perfectionism, and then expect the Oh, this person is a pure devotee, so this person is 100% perfect. Right. So another, another misconception on my part. Right. Their perfection is their pure bhakti. Bhakti. And their connection with Krishna. Krishna. Yeah. Anything else? Um, okay, let's see. Well, should we try to do one more? 
um, text 27, in this, in this, this materialist, in this materialistic life, there are many difficulties, as I have just mentioned, and all of them are insurmountable. In addition, there are difficulties arising from so-called happiness, distress, attachment, hate, fear, false prestige, illusion, madness, lamentation, bewilderment, greed, envy, enmity, insult, hunger, thirst, tribulation. Wow, what a list. Disease, birth, old age, and death. All these combine together to give the materialistic condition soul nothing but misery. Sometimes the conditioned soul is attracted by illusion personified, his wife or girlfriend, and becomes eager to be embraced by a woman. Thus he loses his intelligence as well as knowledge of life's goal. At that time, no longer attempting spiritual cultivation, he becomes overly attached to his wife or girlfriend and tries to provide her with a suitable apartment. Again, he becomes very busy under the shelter of that home and is capable by the talks, captivated by the talks, glances, and activities of his wife and children. In this way, he loses his Krishna consciousness and throws himself in the dense darkness of material existence. So we will continue next week on verse 29. I will send you the, the what Burry uh, Jumper was writing, and we, will, we should be able to finish this chapter, and then the next chapter is very short, very short, uh, the descendants of King Priyavrata. And then we will start the uh, the cosmology part of the fifth canto. Very, very interesting indeed. And uh, But I will ask you to read Burijan Prabhu's uh, essay, if at all possible, this week, this coming week. Okay? So I hope you have a suffering-filled week. No, <laughs> I don't hope that. I hope you have a pleasant week in Krishna consciousness. So nice to uh, see all of you. And we will uh, continue. So it looks like um, next week, Montgomery County will start opening things up. The temple room has already been placed with marks where people can stand six feet apart uh, for darshan. And kirtan will be will go on outside because when you when you sing, you even with a mouth cover, even with a covering, you project more things. So to be on the safe side, the kirtan will be just on the outside. The microphone will be there, connected to the temple, so the deities can hear the kirtan fully. But the devotees will be um, singing. Uh, my wife told me today that they'll be singing outside when there's kirtan. But there will be some some more opening up, but of course with all the proper precautions in terms of covering face masks and um, social distancing will be uh, very strictly uh, in, involved. But 